There's nothing like the sound of amazing grace. Nothing, nothing like that marvelous sound ringing out from the hearts and souls of God's gathered people in a congregation, in a parish, gathered together in community. Love that. Thank you, Dr. Heidi and our cathedral singers for leading us this morning in such a, such a beautiful piece. The problem with this text this morning is it's too long. And I could have 500 PowerPoint slides and two weeks to explain it and talk about it, and make relevant applications to it. But with communion in the service here, I get about 20 minutes and I took every bit of that 20 in the first service. But it's a long text and there's a lot to it. There's a man who can't see and all of a sudden can see. There's a, a whole group of people who think they get it and then they don't get it. And, 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 and the, the, the give and take and the mix of that and how Jesus weaves his way through community and makes a huge difference in the people who watch the, the healing come down in John 9 as well as the man himself. But I only get one message for a big story, and here it is. People are blind, and Jesus makes them see. The end. Somebody go and get Dr. Heidi, and we can sing. Hey, wait, 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 wait. I see you guys over there. The man in the story, he's blind, and blind from birth, which means there's a lot going on there by way of stigma attached with his, with his blindness and his malady. He has this notion in the community from the rules of the community that he sinned. There was something he did along the way that made him born blind or something his parents did that somehow in the great cosmic equilibrium, God is kind of working out the scale. So not only was he blind, but he had to live with the stigma of being like a super sinner or a hateful person or a, someone who God hadn't smiled and shined upon his life. And, and so with that, Jesus comes into the scene in John 9. Jesus heals him with mud and opens his eyes and then there's a ruckus because there's more blind people. Those who could see but couldn't see, those who could work with their eyes but couldn't perceive with their hearts. They struggled so hard with what Jesus had done because Jesus had broken the rules. The Pharisees and the religious people, they were blinded to what Jesus had done that day. They had rules and rules are meant to be followed. And if you don't follow the rules, then you get what you deserve. And they were the keepers of the rules that you followed. And they were the people that meted out the punishment for not keeping the rules. So Jesus put a little mud with a little spit on the guy's eyes. And that was work, not to mention healing the guy. And so he broke the rules. Slap his hand, put him on timeout, do whatever you're going to do to Jesus. But he broke the rules. And, and the religion at that point with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and all those people, religion was reduced to the rules. Rules about eating, drinking, cleaning. Rules about who you were with and what you were like. Rules about how you washed your hands and your vessels. Rules about working, talking, connecting with people. Rules for the community, rules for the sacrifice. There are rules for everything. And it had all been extrapolated out into a bunch of rules. And then there was a pecking order that came by those who could keep the rules. Well, I'm really good at the sacrificial rules, but the dietary rules I really struggle with because I would rather eat ice cream than eat whatever else is according to the rules. 
And so if you were more holy, you were here. And if you were less holy here, and if you were a man born blind or his parents, then you probably had a real issue with sin in your life. A problem you couldn't fix, a thing you couldn't make better, a thing that was exacerbated by people elbowing in the crown and going, yeah, that's the blind guy. I wonder who sinned here as folks. Religion was reduced to the rules. Jesus broke the rules, and that led to a mess, to even more people being blind. We know that blindness. We live in a time where that blindness is before us. We see that in culture. We see that in society. We see that in the, the people we live and interact with every day, whether it's inside the church or outside the church. There are people who reduce their lives to rules, and they're blind to everything else except the rules. And religious people, and I use religious in kind of a sour sense, religious rulers and religious rules have a way of blocking Christ out of Christianity and replacing Jesus with rules. Don't do this and don't do that. Do this and do that and you'll be a better Christian. And then Jesus will love you more. And that provides a Christianity without Christ, which is no Christianity whatsoever. And we're Lutherans. Oh, do we love rules and structure? Oh, have you seen the rules I have to live by? We bought a piece of property worth for $1.9 million, and I'm able to suggest, I'm able to earn money for, I'm able to work in a line, I'm able to bring people together on, but I can't sign on the dotted line because you haven't given me that authority. If I buy that piece of property, and I come to you and say, ain't it great, I just bought a $10 million piece of property, y'all need to pay for it. Whoa! I can't do that, it's part of my rules. And some of those rules are super good. There's responsibility I don't want to have. And there's responsibility you don't want me to have. But the rules are clear and defined and they bring order to the relationship I have with the board and the parish. And it works super good. Because typically I keep the rules and typically the trustees and the elders keep me track and strong, supported, encouraged, and loved. But don't get me wrong, we still have our rules who can use our kitchen. In our congregation, that was a rule for a long time. Who could use the kitchen and who couldn't? And who could use what plates? And if you used the wrong plates in our kitchen and it went for the wrong time, then you were in trouble. Or if you used it and you didn't lock it up or you didn't clean it, then you were in trouble. And then we have our own little rules, like we shouldn't take pictures in church. Well, okay. Is there a law against that? Well, no, but it, it, it offends me when people do that. It's my little thing. It's my little rule. And it just ticks me off. Well, I like wearing a tie to church. Not a bow tie, a real tie, a necktie. And it should match with your shirt and your pants. And that's my rule. Fellas, next week, coats and ties for everybody. And that's it. I have articulated the rule. And if you don't like that rule, we can make any one of a million other rules. People love rules and structure. It becomes dangerous when the rules replace Jesus, which is exactly what happens in John chapter nine. The church and big C church, the church throughout the world is going through an enormous sense of transition right now. 
Noted historian Phyllis Tickle writes in her book, The Divine Emergence, that every 500 years, God does something kind of stirring the pot. If you haven't known, in 2017, that's the 500th year since Luther wrote the, penned the 95 Theses and hammered those on the chapel door at Wittenberg. 500 years before that was the great schism of the Catholic Church, east for east and west for west. 500 years from that was Constantine saying that the, the Christian faith was going to be the faith of the Roman Empire. And 500 years before that or so was Jesus. Maybe things are up for grabbers right now. Maybe some of our rules have grown stale. Maybe some of the younger people and younger generations have said, y'all's rules aren't working for us, and y'all's rules aren't necessarily in the Scripture. Noted demographers and statisticians, Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinneman, who work for the Barna Institute up in Ventura, wrote a book called Unchristian, and I've alluded to this and, and, and really held these things in my heart, especially as it relates to rules in church. They say the church's rules and the manner in which the church has done their business is viewed by younger generations in, in, in kind of a different way. And I wanted to draw those in as relates to rules. Kinnaman and Lyons would say the church is perceived as hypocritical. That is, we can't keep our own rules. The church wants non-believers just to be notches on the belt of believers. Or as better said, we glory in helping people follow our own rules rules or that the church is anti-homosexual which is to say we have uh, special rules for different people they would say the church is sheltered we may say our rules are exclusive and so are we they would say the church is political and we may say you need to follow our rules they would say the church is judgmental and they would say, if you can't keep our rules, we'll let you know. And we'll get after you pretty good. Has the church over the last 500 years reduced the Christian faith to rules? The right liturgies, the right hymns, the right readings, the right organ music, the right praise songs, the right preacher, the right themes, the right buildings, the right architecture, the right art, the right formula for the faith, the right way of doing things. And with that, have we created a blindness to the mission of Christ to make disciples into the whole world? Because on the one hand, keeping the rules creates arrogance. The Pharisees that day were arrogant. They said, you're darn right. We kept all the rules and this Jesus guy has completely messed this up. We are at the top of the pecking order. And those who can't keep the rules, or those who break the rules, those who are broken by the rules. They find a sense of despair in that. Never measuring up, never being good enough, always being at the bottom, like the woman at the well, like a man born blind, like a skeptic under a palm tree, like all of those pieces where Jesus is in John's gospel. The arrogant face and angry Christ, but the broken and the lost face the Savior and the Redeemer of the world. I don't know how old the guy was. Would be fascinating to know how old the guy was. Seems to me he couldn't have been that old. If people lived to be 40, 45, this guy probably was 16 to 20 is what I'm thinking. I don't know. Nobody does. 
But his testimony is a simple testimony. And his response is a simple response. Jesus comes to him and, 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 and the, the, he, he's pulled into the Pharisees and said, I don't know what happened. He put some mud on my face. I went and cleaned it and washed it. Now I can see. He said, yeah, tell us more about it. He said, I don't know. I went, I washed it. Now I see. No, no, tell us more about it. Well, I went, I washed, and then I see. I mean, it's just not sophisticated. It's not nuanced. It's not doctrinal. It's not theological. It's the confession of a young guy. I don't know. I went, I washed, now I can see. Did you see Jesus? Well, not yet. I was blind. What part of that did you miss? <laughs> so Jesus is the healer to the man that day. He didn't sit down and give a diatribe about the doctrinal situation about sin and whose sin was it. Jesus reaches into the situation, gets his hands dirty a little bit, spits, makes mud, sends the guy to the scent pool, and the guy comes back seeing on the Sabbath day. Jesus heals the blind man that day. He doesn't offer a 20-minute sermon. We see Jesus. We see him not as a rule giver, but as a savior. Not with conditional love for those who obey, but for unconditional love for those who are lost and broken. If you look with me, if you will, on page four in your worship bulletin, the, the verses uh, 35 and, and following, it's at the, oh, probably the middle third of that page there uh, from the gospel reading that Janet read so well. She does such a good job at that. Read with me, if you would, from verse 35 to verse 39. Can we do that together, please? Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see become blind. Jesus said to him, you have now seen me. You have now seen me. And blind eyes are filled with the light of day and of the light of Jesus' love. I, 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 we stopped on the 15 freeway last week and wondered what in the world people were stopping for. We're like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then the flowers filled on both the, the east and west side of the 15 between uh, Cahawco Road and Lake Elsinore. Man had never seen that. He had yet to see his mom, he had yet to see his dad, he had yet to see his friends. He had yet to see the people who made fun of him, he had yet to see what ground and dirt and earth and all of those things looked like he didn't have a clue. I picture Jesus picking up the man with his hands on the side of the gentleman's face, looking at him in, in the eyes and saying, you have now seen him. We see Jesus. We see him not as a rule giver, but as the one who comes to bring healing to broken lives, to those who are crushed by the rules, where there's always one more rule. In Christ, there's always more kindness. 
In Christ, there's always more grace. Jesus isn't the one who says, well, if you would have kept the rule the first time, you'd have been doing better than this. Jesus comes and says, you see me, you behold me. I love you. I'm not about rules, but about unconditional love for you. The man responds, Lord, I believe. In the broken pieces of your life where the rules have been broken, Christ comes with forgiveness and release. And where there are those pieces of your lives that are broken, whether it's your eyes or your ears, your body or your soul, he draws you to himself, as Jesus said in the earlier part of John's gospel. I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people unto my And the rules, well, he made those centered in a different thing as well. When the attorneys and the Pharisees and the leaders of the law would come to Jesus and say, okay, what are the rules? What are the commandments? Moses gave us his, now what are yours? Jesus said, well, that's easy, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. But, 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 no, 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 two, two, two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And love your neighbor. But, but who will we know who's at the top and, and, and at the bottom, Jesus? It is a little more structure to society that we need here. No, no. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If we hang on to those two rules, we're going to be just fine. And our witness in the world isn't one that is judgmental, hypocritical, exclusive. It's one that's loving, kind, caring for people where they're at. And the witness is here as well. It's so simple, isn't it? I went, I washed, and now I can see your witness in the world doesn't need to be a huge doctrinal treatise on the efficacy of the hypostatic union of God, Christ's divine and human attributes. But your story, like that man that day, is a simple story. I was here and lost, and Jesus found me. And let me tell you how that worked. Or I was broken and down. And let me tell you how Jesus put my life back together, I went, I washed, and now I see. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.